Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Sandra Estock. Sandra is the founder of Way to Protect, her firm that focuses on cybersecurity, IT, and data privacy. She began her career in a home country of Venezuela, where she overcame challenging circumstances along the way to becoming an author, consultant, and speaker. Sandra lives in Milwaukee with her husband, Ricardo, and is here to talk about her book, Happily Ever Cyber, How to Protect Against Hackers, Scammers, and Cyber Monsters. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you, Bill. I'm so excited to be here. I'm glad to have you with me. Yes, I'm ready for this interview and to bring, you know, cybersecurity with a different spin for you and your audience. Sandra, tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Someone that really changed my life was when I was 11 years old, I have a teacher and her name was Mrs. Marlene. And Mrs. Marlene changed my life in the way that one statement simple statement that she made in, in one of our classes. She said, you are the architect of your own life and you can choose happiness no matter what. You know, every time I say that statement, it brings memories. And I was into a bully situation and that statement saved me. And that statement became the pinnacle of my life and how I live my life after that bullying event really changed me. And Mrs. Marlene remains to be that person that I owe who I am today. It's remarkable how the intervention of teachers, parents, coaches, friends in our lives can make such a difference by being there and offering words and support at just the right moments. I'm so glad you shared that about Mrs. Marlena. Thank you. Now, Sandra, we're here to talk about cybersecurity and cyber risks and IT. And we're in a very special time now with the pandemic lockdown. What are some of the trends you're seeing related to cybersecurity, especially for people who are working from home and dealing with a lot of new connections and new technology? Absolutely. Thank you. This is so important and so, so good that you're asking, Bill. These unprecedented times and in pandemic or any event that is in the news or that is relevant to a lot of people has the attraction for cyber criminals. So obviously right now with, with the pandemic, what we're seeing, it's a 30,000% increase on fake emails or scams. From January through now, so 30,000% increase in, in what we used to have before. I mean, I think in companies, you, we are familiar with phishing emails or spam emails, and we always have to battle that as business owners or as employees. We always get someone trying to trick us. Now, what we're seeing right now, it's an evolution, and some of these old tricks that were used are now being pivoted with COVID-19 themes. And right. the issue with that is, you know, we're, we're in these unprecedented times. We want information. We, we want hope. We want good news or we want to know the bad news. And that curiosity is being exploited. So 
COVID-19 themes are, for example, the cure of COVID-19 or how can you do like, this is what's happening right now. This many people have died or these are supplies that are right now in high demand. Now you can buy them from me. This is another way or fake donation. Because again, everything is playing to our emotions. Either we're looking for, you know, protecting our family, we're looking for help others, or we're looking to know more about COVID-19. That is so valuable, Sandra. I know that everyone listening is thinking about those three things. Number one, they're thinking about where they could get information so that they can use it to better understand the situation and protect themselves, their families, their colleagues, and their businesses during this time. Second, people want to understand where they can get information about supplies such as face masks and alcohol things that they could use for supporting their organizations and making their people feel safe. And third, they're looking for authoritative sources about the situation so that they could make business plans and adapt their plans accordingly. One of those issues is where do you look for authoritative sources? You can't trust everything that comes up on your Facebook or Instagram news feed. So how do you help people think about finding authoritative sources like government sources, the Center for Disease Control, or their equivalents in whatever country you're in, such as the status of testing availability or supplies or the rate of infections in your county compared to other counties in your state or nearby. These are important questions which require and deserve accurate, authoritative, and timely answers that people can depend upon and not just look to Facebook or Instagram news feeds in order to make these decisions. How do you help the clients that you work with find these answers? Mm -hmm. My advice in this case is always, every time you get an information, no matter how it comes to you, social media, email, text about COVID-19, the first thing that I'm suggesting is breathe, really a deep breath, and once you, you, you take those two or three seconds to see really that information, what is it telling you? And sometimes you could see, okay, this is coming from a, a health organization or a media outlet. Like you said, we'll go directly to that, to that place. And what I advise, you know, don't pay attention to anything that you are getting through email or you're getting through social media with channels you cannot confirm. I will just say delete. Because it's gonna, it's right now, it's the best way to keep us protected. If we keep continue sharing with friends and with others the same information that is being infected with malware, we're just propagating more and more the cybercrime and the identity theft that is happening right now. So two simple things, breathe and delete. <laughs> My very, very simple things for COVID-19, not official information. I would add that I think that people ought to be looking very skeptically at information comes through. All of us are curious. And as adults, we need to be in charge of and responsible for our curiosity so that when we're interested, when the time is right to go out and get this information, we can engage that curiosity and look proactively rather than be reactive to the streams of information that come across on social media or email. and put ourselves at risk. Really what we want to do is make the switch from being reactively curious 
to be proactively curious so that we can contain it and look for that information when it makes sense based upon our day, our plans and our priorities. Would you say that's accurate and advisable, Sandra? Absolutely. And, you know, I believe that that switch will become more natural once you create that habit of being present with your technology and being really mindful of what you're seeing and how, how are you sharing? Who are you, you know, asking those questions. Do I really need to send this out? Do I really need to open this attachment? It's this information, something I can validate. So if you get an email for another trend that is right now happening with COVID-19 is all related to the incentive packages and all the jobs, because obviously right now it's a very sensitive time and a lot of people either have lost their jobs or they are in a reduced schedule. So fake information from your employer saying maybe you have been dismissed from your job and now here is your package or getting information about a new job that is going to pay you, be skeptical because again, those are themes very attractive for cyber criminals to exploit because right now we want to know more, we want to click. Yes. Pardon me for jumping in, but you're making such a great point. This is exactly what's happening now in remote workplaces where people want to be connected with what's going on in the office and they're lacking that additional feedback that comes from being in an office culture where when they get a suspicious email that they think is a joke or a prank, they can't just look over at their manager or walk over to his or her office and say, haha, funny joke. They're clicking on it, trying to be inclusive without taking the proper precautions and putting themselves, their home and their business at risk by entering into those areas and clicking on links that they shouldn't be clicking on and they don't know better because they haven't been educated about these cyber risks. That's one of the aspects of your book, Happily Ever Cyber, that I really appreciate, Sandra. You want people to get involved with not only accessing technology and networks, but also taking responsibility for it. I think of it as driving a car. You know, we're responsible for driving a car and we use it day in and day out to get from place to place. However, there are also associated responsibilities like maintaining it and making sure it goes for inspections. I kind of wish that there would be an app or a monitoring device on our computers and phones that if we didn't go through security checklists on a periodic basis, it would cloud the screen until we did. It's like when smoke comes out of your car, you know you need to bring it in for service. In your book, you say that there are three reasons that people don't perform cybersecurity checkups. They think it's too hard because it's not for me, or they think it's too technical. How do you advise people and get them to understand that it's just as important to go in for cybersecurity checks as it is for your car to go in for safety inspections and to make sure you follow the rules of the road there? How do you get people to understand that along with the privilege of being on the internet, there also comes responsibility for maintaining safety for your own computer access, your network's access, as well as your company's assets. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Bill. I love your example with the car. Love it, love it, love it. Very visual. And it's exactly the case in cybersecurity, that responsibility that we all have with technology. We can enjoy it in a safe manner. Now, how I believe we can change the, these three misconceptions or, or these three things that you just mentioned about being too technical, being 
too hard or that it won't happen to me. But first of all, being too technical, I think, you know, sometimes we consider that it's only bits and bytes in cybersecurity or in, in the way that we use technology. And most of the case is not true. I'll give you an example with that. When you go to social media, right, you, we post a lot of information about ourselves. And we might say, okay, this is the name of my pet. This is my brother. This, you know, we, we share so much information that if we do that and we use that same information to set up our passwords, and a, yeah, an attacker can easily, I mean, I'm not talking about anything technical. I'm just talking about how you answered your questions, you know, when you have to set up your security questions so you can reset your password. And you say, okay, my brother name is this, or my pet name is that, or this is when I went to school for the first time. And we have all that information already in your Facebook or your social media accounts. So if I am an attacker, if I am looking to steal your information, I don't really have to look that hard. I can just go to your social media, get a few things from there, and I can trick maybe your, you know, someone and pretend to be you and still, I mean, I have seen it many times where you pretend to be somebody else and now you get to have access to what that person has, either their bank account or their identity. So the perception that is too technical that only cybersecurity is about, you know, technical things is not really that relevant because it's how much we share. And when we understand that how much we share and how we share it can be used for criminals, then we can change that behavior or that perception or that misconception. And it's not technical at all. You can just go and, and don't disclose that information in social media. And that simple trick can serve you. <laughs> I hear what you're saying and I get it, that there are some people who think it's too technical to make sure they have a secure PIN number for their bank or a, a password for their email. And if that's the case, they really shouldn't be surprised when they get hacked. One practice that I use is that when I'm asked common questions, like where did you go for, to high school and where, um, what's your mother's maiden name as security questions, I don't put in English answers or accurate answers. I use my online password generator and use cryptic letter and text combinations to answer those questions and just save it as part of my password system. So when I'm challenged I'm to answer, where did you go to high school? Rather than the name of a high school, I'm putting in a string of text characters and numbers and punctuation marks all mixed together, but saved as an ASCII string in my password manager. Do you think that's a good practice? Do you have a better one that you'd suggest? And do you advise that for people who are looking to protect their own personal assets as well as their business assets? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and I applaud you for you doing that because that's a, sometimes we're so inclined to tell exactly the information that they are asking and to be so literal. And, you know, these tools are not necessarily created for that. You, what you're doing is genius. I mean, just, you know, create answers that only you will know that cannot be taken from your public records or from your social media account. Let me just clarify that when my bank asks for the name of my first dog, I never named my dog, you know, GXYTT exclamation seven. 
I named a regular dog's name. I'm just using that for the password challenges and storing that in a password system. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Now, the second, the second principle that we were just talking about that, you know, cybersecurity is too hard. It's too complicated. I cannot do it. So with this one, I will say, imagine that you get into your house and you go to your living room and you see there is a hole in the middle of your living room, right? And then you turn around and there's another hole in, your, in the wall of your living room and another one and another. And then suddenly your house, your home is full of holes in the wall. And these holes could be big, like someone can actually sneak through that hole and get inside of your house, or they can be, you know, there are so many that, you know, it's overwhelming for you. Now, I will ask, you know, would you feel comfortable being in your house knowing that anyone in the street can just sneak through one of those holes and get maybe in the living room where your kids or your family or, you, you know, with your business? If, if, if we're talking about your business, you know, all the walls if you, in your business have holes, would you feel comfortable that strangers can get in easily? I've heard this metaphor before. And when I think about a house with holes in it for people to walk in, I often think of a door. What we want to clarify here is that we're talking about two things. One, doors that are left open and or unlocked. And secondly, houses that have been set up and lived in where the builder never attached a door. And we would notice that if it's in the physical world, but because it's in the computer world, we don't notice and we're not annoyed by and bothered by the fact that, for instance, you know, I have neighbors and friends whose routers are still the default password that Verizon set them up with. And everyone can look at what their default password is. So by virtue of that, it's easy to know what your neighbor's default password is unless they've gone ahead and taken the trouble to change it. And that's the kind of level of attentiveness to cybersecurity that people need to do to protect themselves and their business assets now while working from home. Yeah. So with that, so with the holes, but the example that I'm using, it's about updating your phone. So if you think about your phone or your computer, when you have, you have programs, you have operating system and you have a bunch of things that you use your phone for or your computer for. When we don't update it, it's literally as that computer is full of holes because all these programs and all the systems that are in there have vulnerabilities that have been exploited by criminals. And because if we're not regularly updating them, it's literally as we are living in a house full of holes and we're not repairing them. That's what it means in your computer. This is one of these areas where the convenience of using our phones and our computers is actually a risk or a liability. We're not driving cars that have a check engine light come on when you've forgotten to change the oil. And people have mistaken notions about how well protected they are just by default with their phones and computers and other devices. One of the biggest ways that convenience works against us that I'm seeing more and more over the past several years, and it's just been accelerated by having everyone work from home now, is the fact that the most dangerous thing we can do with any device is go onto the internet. And now we don't even have ethernet cables that we have to run and plug into the computer to say, now we're connected to 
the larger internet. So I think that is another way that we've separated ourselves from understanding the significance of that step of connecting to the internet. If it's all wireless, it's just so easy. So what advice do you give people for looking to protect both their phone and their computer, as well as other devices, when they get on the network and are working from home? So definitely number one is to keep them updated. And what I do is I create a, an entry in my calendar, actually, and a reminder so every Sunday or, you know, whatever day of the week that works for you or two times, you know, during the week, just get that reminder. And it's that simple as going to your settings, you know, pushing a, a tap to say app day. And that takes care of your operating system and then going into your apps and also update them. So again, if, if you do that in a regular and consistent basis, your phone and your computer are less likely to be impacted by all these criminal attempts that we have right now, because these vulnerabilities that are known are easy entry points for any criminal or cyber monster into your life. One of the real issues that people working from home these days is facing is complexity. And it truly is much more complex to work from home when you're not used to it and you're not set up for it. And that's compounded by children who are still in school and needing to do online classes. And it's compounded by whatever other household responsibilities you have. And it's compounded by restrictions that we have to work around in order to get basic repairs done and go to the grocery store and stuff like that. So, I hear a lot of people saying that it's just too bothersome or too unimportant. It falls down their priority list to look at cybersecurity. And they also bolster that argument, attempt to bolster it by saying, it can't happen to me. There's so many people online. It just, you know, they don't care about what I'm doing. How mistaken would you say that people are when they use that argument that they say to themselves and others? And what are some of the real things that people are risking based on your own experience, as well as consulting. Absolutely. Identity theft can happen to anyone, and it happened to me. Many years ago, I actually was traveling, returning from Colombia, visiting my mom, and Homeland Security officers board the plane, and I was the only passenger that was scored out of the plane. And I was, of course... <laughs> Scorted into that room, you know, the famous room that we all go through. And I didn't know what was happening. I, my husband was waiting for me. I was about to miss my connecting flight. And Bill, 10 hours later, I'm handed back my passport with the words revoked. And I didn't know, you know, what, what was happening. I went to my employer. My employer actually was relocated me from Venezuela to the United States. And a few weeks later, I'm in Venezuela trying to get a new visa. I have the support of attorneys and everyone is trying to, to help me get, you know, get through this. And I'm in the interview with the officials in the embassy and they kept asking me about China. Why were you in China? Who do you know in China? Who's your contact in China? And, you know, I was overwhelmed and I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I don't know. I've never been in China. And they said, well, somehow a smuggler in China got a hold of your information and have been smuggling women into the U.S. using your identity. And of course, Bill, I convinced them that I'm not connected and I'm not a smuggler. I get my new visa. I come home. 
And my job required me to travel. And I used to go overseas all the time. So two weeks later, I'm returning from Europe. I get off the plane. I get to passport control. And boom, I'm back into that room. And that happened to me over and over for six years. Because I have to prove every single time that I was the real me. Sandra, was that based off the original incident or were there additional attempts and successes at spoofing and masquerading as your identity that you had to deal with? Yeah. So in this case, the criminals stole my name, my passport information, and actually created fake IDs for other people to enter the country using my name. In that time, everything was in Chinese. I also had businesses like an import and export company was under my name. And, you know, several things that were happening that was using my name as their, I guess, their legal identity. So you might have been responsible for financial losses and taxes and debts of that import export company. Yes. You know, I in that case. Because I was with my employer and I, we tried to, to do a lot of things to clean up my name. Everything didn't work. <laughs> we have to wait for six years until I became a U.S. citizen. And I actually changed my name because of this. Whoa, let's just pause right there for a moment. Because this goes back to the idea that when people say, oh, this can't happen to me, you probably had that thought too. And here you are, someone who is experienced, you're a savvy businesswoman, and you're well-traveled. And we may never know what configuration or incident or mishap led your devices and your identity to being vulnerable to hacking and theft. But here you were, suffering through these mishaps. And it wasn't, you know, everyone thinks that they'll never find themselves in an airport detention room, one of those fishbowls with, you know, windows just on the door and cameras in the corners of the room that we see in spy thrillers. But you were there and nobody thinks that they're going to go on a trip either for business or pleasure and get their passport handed back to them with the word revoked on it like you did. Yet there you were. And that wasn't the end of it. You left the airport and then still had to deal for weeks and weeks, months and months with all of the other issues that were going on that weren't just a nuisance. They were threatening your financial standing and your credit rating and who knows what else. So for everyone listening, understand that this is what is at risk and that if you have the misfortune of being hacked, these are some of the things that lie ahead. So avoid it wherever you can. Bring it up your priority list. Sandra, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Yes, I am. Excellent. <laughs> yes, ready, 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 ready. Earlier, I asked you about a person who influenced or inspired you growing up. Think back to your teenage years and what's a song that inspired you during that time? As a teenager, I have these you know, I grew up in Venezuela, so all the songs were in Spanish. And this song was, the translation, I guess, is Make Me a Channel of Your Love. And in Spanish, it's Hazme un Instrumento de Tu Paz. And it's a song about making you that channel of peace for others. And where others can find love in yourself or find inspiration and find you instead of looking always 
for others to help you, you are helping them. And that song carried me over throughout my entire life. So since my teenage days until now. And and Bill, I still use that song and it's been played by many different artists. And today I, I have a ritual every night and I play that song every single night. And my husband and I sing that song. And it's like a connection. It's, it brings me to what I'm about to do in my life and what I'm about to do in the cybersecurity space. And it's to bring the best I can be in an industry because we all need to protect our information. And I, I want to communicate and I want to do this in the best way I can because I know there's so much you know, cyber monsters and evils around and I want to change that and make me a channel of your love is, is, or maybe a channel of your peace is one way for me to every night connect to my mission. That sounds really powerful. Sandra, what would you say is the best $100 purchase, up to $100 you've made in the last six months? No, I bought um, firewall. <laughs> I'm, I'm a geek, of course. A hardware firewall for my home. And it's been very useful to have something that blocks things from all my different devices. And I can have a firewall in my computer, but, you know, this one, it's really easy to set up and you can Google, you know, go to Amazon or any, any, any place, Google uh, hardware firewall. And, you know, it's a tiny box, you connect it and it's just another layer of protection that you can have. And I love it. That sounds really powerful. Sandra, what would you say is the best personal $100 purchase you've made in the last six months? The best personal purchase that I made in my life is a pair of glasses. And they are these glasses that you can see at night. You know, you turn the lights off and you put those glasses and you can still see everything in the room. (laughs) Sandra, are these glasses or night vision goggles? (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly. Those kinds. I, I, you know, I will say that that's as, as a personal fun thing to do. I, yeah, I will say that. Sandra, what would you say is one of the most important habits, routines, or rituals that you've stopped doing in the last six months that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? Something that I stopped doing was I stopped eating chips. <laughs> so I know it doesn't sound like a ritual, but every time I used to watch TV, I had to watch it with eating something. And I changed that. Even right now with COVID-19, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to watch a show, instead of eating something, I'm just going to drink tea. And that is making my life much healthier. Sandra, from your experience and perspective, what would you say is still one of the biggest mistakes you find people making when it comes to cybersecurity and identity theft? And that might be heightened or amplified because of working from home during this pandemic lockdown. I think the biggest mistake is thinking that it won't happen to you and having your guard down. And, you know, if you are a business and thinking that the emails that your employees receive are all free of spam or free of malware, free of phishing. You know, when we think about that, our guard goes down. So I think once we realize that it can happen to anyone, it can happen to a company, no matter the size and no matter the complexity, then we start taking action. And I think the best way to do that is 
get your employees and get your your organization to to find a way to personally connect to cybersecurity. And you know, I I think everyone has a story. Everyone has lost something, and make that personal and in your business find that way for people to care about your information and and I think when you realize that you can do that and people can truly embed cybersecurity practices in the, their daily lives you know you your organization and your personal life will be protected Sandra Isak, thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best and talking with me about your experience with cybersecurity, avoiding the risks of identity theft, and overcoming the three big myths that it's too hard, it's not for me, or it's too technical. Sandra, where can we find out more about you and your work online? Absolutely, Bill. Thank you so much for having me in your show. And, and I, you know, for your audience, just stay safe and, you know, watch out for what you click online. Just go to the sources. And you can find more about me at happilyevercyber.com. And you can actually download three simple steps where you can protect your identity. You could use that for you or for your business. And follow me in social media. I'm creating a lot of content, creating ways for you to protect yourself, your family, or your business. And yeah, my social media handlers are at Way to Protect. And yeah, happy to connect with you and your audience, uh, BL. Thank you so much. We're going to post to your website, your book link, and all your social media channels to make it easy for people to find you. Sandra Estock, author of Happily Ever Cyber, thanks once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you, Bill. Have a wonderful day. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.